Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. Thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, thanks for being back with us this week, guys. Um, We want to thank our newest Patreon. We've got Matthew Craig, who's joined us in the last week. So thank you very much, Matthew. Uh, If you would like to sign up and uh, join Matthew and uh, a few other people over at Patreon, then you can head to our page at patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Matthew. And congratulations to Louis, who won our book competition this month, which was really exciting. Yeah, well done, Louis. Um, And then the other thing that we really wanted to talk to you guys about, which you've probably heard us going on and on and on about, because we're so excited, is that we are going to be at CrimeCon next June. We're so excited for this. So the event will take place in London on Saturday the 12th and Sunday the 13th of June 2021. And you can use the code RED for a 10% discount on your ticket price if you purchase with our code. And we'll give you a Seeing Red goodie bag as well. So what have you got to lose? So come and join us at CrimeCon in partnership with Crime and Investigation. Yeah, and what I would say is all of your ticket purchases are COVID-proof purchases. So uh, if there are any issues resulting from COVID next June, then you'll get a full refund on on your ticket. Yeah, they've been really good about that, haven't they? It's amazing. They've, they've been great. Yeah, we're so excited to be there because there's going to be so many amazing people. Um, people that are kind of like idols for us in the true crime community. So Mark Williams Thomas, Linda Laplante, who has her own true crime podcast as well. All the all of your favourite podcasts will be there as well. Um, and it's just going to be so much fun. So we're really looking forward to, uh, yeah, just kind of repping the Seeing Red podcast and meeting you guys and having a little drink in the bar afterwards as well. You're very excited about the bar, aren't you? <laughs> I'm so excited about the bar, yeah. So this week, my case involves a cat helping to solve the case. How long I have been waiting for this opportunity. This is fucking ridiculous. You're so excited, aren't you, Mark? I know how much you love kitty cats. (laughs) I literally just, uh, because Bethany emails me the episode (laughs) and she literally emailed it me two minutes ago and I looked at it and it was called, what was it called? SR Cat Hair, because I didn't want you Uh, to know anything about it. So I was like, what What the fuck is this? And then she's she's like, yeah, it's about a cat solving a case. I was like, this is ridiculous. I, I want no part in this. Um, but here I am, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, so. you asked me to do the show with you all those months and years ago. And here we are with a cat case. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> you don't hate cats. You would fuss mine I when, do it, when you cats. came around. You'd be like, yeah, oh, hello. Well... I can't really confirm or deny those allegations, but uh, I'm not a fan. What I will say, though, is the reason I've actually, I shifted around a couple of my case, um, like my plans for what episodes I was going to do, because I couldn't bear to give our listeners another unsolved case. So I've actually brought this one forward so that it's one with a resolution, a conviction. They might actually feel a little bit settled at the end unlike the last few cases where we've just had a mystery completely i have i've been on an unsolved binge as well because i've been on youtube looking at um, all of the old crime watch episodes and there's i can't remember his name but there's a a youtuber that's put lots of different cases together in episodes Mm -hmm. so for example there's like 10 murders in one episode that you can watch oh yeah and most of them are still unsolved to this day so I've been taking a lot of inspiration for future cases from these vintage 1980s Crime Watch episodes. 
And um, so many of them are unsolved. So I've got to be really careful now because otherwise I'm going to get in a an unsolved cycle. And some of our listeners love it, but some of you aren't as much fans of it, which I get. So um, I need to be careful, but maybe the next one will be an unsolved. I don't know. Seeing red, the unsolved crime case episodes of podcasts. <laughs> It's just, I, but I yeah. think when when I do something, I just I just go deep on it. You get a bit so, fixated, don't you? Yeah, that's just the way mm-hmm. I am. So I, I will get obsessed with unsolved and probably do it for six months and then never do it again. But right. we'll see. Don't worry, guys. I've got your back. I will do some solved cases as well. Good. So first of all, I'm going to take you to the fourth of July, 2012, and to Portsmouth Beach. Obviously, did a little bit of a history search and I learned some facts with Portsmouth that I didn't know. So I don't know if you're going to know this and I just seem like someone completely stupid who didn't pay attention in geography class. But I didn't realise this. Portsmouth is an English port city situated primarily on Portsea Island in the county of Hampshire. And Portsea Island is a flat, low-lying island just off the southern coast of the UK. So it's completely separate. It's an actual island. Did you know that? I, this is so weird because only in the last two weeks did I know this. Did you learn and this recently? It's so yeah, weird, and I can't. Isn't it? Re- I can't remember why. I, I think for some reason I just googled Portsmouth and um, went on Wikipedia and read about it randomly. I know that's how I spend my free time oh, when I'm not so doing the cool. show. I'm so cool. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, that that's really weird." I never knew that it was technically an island. So yeah. Um, there you go. And I, I don't think I even knew that it was a city. And I think it's our only port city in the UK. It is. Well, it's our only island city. Definitely. I'm not sure oh, about port okay. city. I might be wrong about Maybe that. Not, but I know it's yeah. definitely our only island city, which I found really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it has the third largest population of all the islands in the British Isles. So after the mainlands of Great Britain and Ireland, Port Sea Island has the third largest population. Do you want to guess which the next populated island is? No. Do you oh. want to guess which the next populated island is, Mark? <laughs> Shut up. I could even see the question and I was still like, uh, I'll just answer my own question. Lovely. The next most populated island. Um, I'm not going to say the Isle of Wight. Um, I'm going to say the Isle of Man. You should have gone with your first answer. So Portsmouth, also known uh, 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 colloquially uh, uh, uh. Is, as Pompey. What is the population then? I don't know. Okay, no idea. we'll find out. We'll find out. I, I reckon it's 200,000. Okay. You have to find out and we'll tell our listeners because I'm sure they're really invested yeah. in the population of Portsmouth. So Portsmouth, which is also known as Pompey, is the UK's only island city, as we sort of said before, although the city did expand onto the mainland. And it is separated by Portsbridge Creek, which is crossed by three road bridges, a railway bridge and two footbridges. The seafront is one of the most popular areas of Portsmouth, enjoyed by visitors as well as locals. And this long, deep shingle beach stretches along the whole southern end of Portsea Island from Old Portsmouth to the conservation area of Eastney. And next to the beach and the seafront promenade, there is the beautiful, vast South Sea Common. So this is where our case this week is set in this beautiful place. But this is probably the nicest part of the whole case, I'm afraid. So I am sorry, guys. Uh, 238,000 238,000 you were very close with your guess yeah but I think that's only because I read it recently 
You're just um, stuck so in your mind. So two hundred and something, yeah. I'm sure our listeners do not care about us going off on tangents, but do you remember the game that we would play at work when we were really, really bored and it would be really quiet and we'd be like, how much does something weigh, does a fly weigh? in like yeah. grams? And then we'd be like, how much does an elephant weigh in grams as well? And we'd have to guess how much things weighed. That was an amazing game. Obviously, we were really busy at work. <laughs> Um, but yeah, fucking hell, I remember that. So what else did we do? It was all random stuff, wasn't it? How much like a leaf weighs. Yeah. Stuff that you couldn't ever really put a weight on. It was very, very weird. And then we'd be like, how many flies does a leaf weigh and stuff like that? Yeah. It was fun times. Oh gosh. Sorry guys. You're just hearing about how really uncool we are this week. There we go. And then also Mark would send me out to do his shopping. I forgot like the that. Little yeah, bitch that I was. You were my bitch. <laughs> Tote. You were great at stuff like that. I'd get I you to buy birthday it. cards and presents for my nan. Wine wrap for me. Your Christmas presents for things. Yeah, got you to wrap my presents. I think I'd do quite well as someone's PA, to be honest. I think you, I'd be pretty yeah. good at that. You were pretty good for me, so I, mm. I need I need you back in my life, fully, Bethan, because I need that again. On the 4th of July, 2012, a group of foreign students were enjoying a day out at the beach. It had been raining the days prior, but on this Tuesday, the weather had begun to change and it was reasonably dry and warm by the time they were on the beach near the Pyramid Centre at half five that afternoon. But their lovely summer's day was ruined when they spotted a bin liner and took a look inside. To their horror, they had discovered a dismembered torso. The body in the bag had no head, arms or legs and this must have just been absolutely awful to stumble across. The students who found the remains alerted some workmen who then contacted the police who immediately set to investigating. Detective Chief Inspector Dick Pearson released a statement to the press. I knew as soon as I started writing this that you would laugh at his name. Obviously. It's a Fanny and Minnie situation all over again. I know I couldn't help it. He's a really good police officer, so let's not laugh at the fact that he's called Dick. You're going to laugh every time, aren't you? I'm I'm not. I'm over it now. Okay. So Dick Pearson released a statement to the press that they were focusing their efforts on identifying this body. And he said, We are aware that the area was busy yesterday afternoon and evening with a number of people on the promenade between South Parade Pier and the Blue Reef Aquarium watching the P&O ships and other local events. We would like to speak to these spectators if they have specific information which would be of interest to us. And the following day, Wednesday the 5th, they announced that the post-mortem tests that carried out on the torso had found he was subjected to a sustained and violent assault before death, but it was not able to determine how he died. They were able to confirm that the torso discovered was that of a post-pubescent man and the police really wanted to identify the victim. So... Dick Pearson said to the press, this is a murder inquiry. The fact that we are unable to use more conventional methods to identify the victim, such as fingerprints or dental records, is challenging. The inquiry is open to the possibility that murder may have taken place away from the local area. But they also asked the public to be on the lookout for other packages because they believed that other body parts or items linked to the murder may have been discarded in the area as well. They announced that anybody who noticed a suspicious package possibly wrapped in black bin liners in the area should not open it but just contact police immediately and I imagine anyone who would usually walk their dogs on the beach must have been really nervous like dreading what they might come across. Yeah because you're going to come across a head potentially and all other bits of the body because I suppose what what the killer's done so far 
by just leaving a torso. The torso, you're not going to be able to identify anybody from that unless their DNA is on, on file. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, potentially some really scary scenarios about to rear their ugly head. Luckily for the public, it was the police who were already searching that found the next package. So luckily it wasn't just a member of the public, but even still for that police officer that found this, it must have been horrendous. Wrapped inside a pink shower curtain within the black bin liner, they found the lower half of the man's body, including legs, on some rocks at low tide in front of Castlefield in Southsea, just after 8am on the 6th. But police were still asking the public to be on alert because they were still missing a lot of parts and they thought they could show up at any time. Whilst they still needed to recover some of the body parts, the police had been able to identify the man who had been killed, so officers set about notifying his next of kin. The man was David Guy. He was a 30-year-old South Sea man of no fixed address, and he lived in a camper van locally. According to residents of the area, David Guy, when sober, was polite and helpful, but when he was drunk, he would become quite violent. And I think we all kind of know of somebody or know somebody who's like this. Bit down on their luck no home of their own he sounds like he was quite quite well known in the community yeah and I, I never I really try and never judge those people because I always think there but for the grace of God go I because absolutely I, I've said it so many times before I said it when we were discussing um, our Patreon special for last month the re- retrospective on season two and we talked about Christina Abbott who was a high-class sex worker working in London addicted to cocaine and I I really feel that her life just went on the wrong path she took the wrong turn and any of us could have done that and it ended unfortunately in a violent death for her but it was just yeah it really made me think so I, I really always try and just think these people have just been unlucky so don't ever judge them just because uh, they're an alcoholic or they live in a caravan or whatever it might be it's really sad actually yeah and I've read a, a fact somewhere that um for a man in the UK it only takes three missed paychecks to end up homeless potentially because in general men get a little bit less support because they would tend not to have children with them and yeah th- if you lose your job you've generally got enough to kind of keep afloat for three months before you potentially could be homeless and I thought that is really really shocking fact that three months is nothing really no um so yeah I, I think a man is probably less likely to ask for help as yeah, well agreed um so yeah I think I think you're right I think mo- most homeless people on the streets are homeless because they just had some shit luck yeah and a lot of people might say oh they're they don't give them money or don't do this because they're a heroin addict or whatever well usually that comes after yeah and of course that of course they're having to take heroin because that's the only escape they're going to get from a horrific life that they're leading on on mm-hmm. the streets or a lonely life in a camper van like this guy perhaps yeah david guy was described as white five foot six of slight build with brown unkempt hair he was last seen wearing a white untucked polo shirt with blue horizontal stripes blue jeans and black shoes or trainers and mr guy's head arms some internal organs and genitalia had been cut away and actually none of these have been found the only things that have been found so far of him were those two different parcels that were found initially. So he's obviously just lost at sea somehow, which I thought was really, really sad. 
It is, isn't it? Because I think it depends what you your beliefs are, but will he ever find peace in the next realm oh or whatever goodness. it is that you believe? I never thought of that. That's horrible. I hope he does. I believe in souls, so I, I think Yeah, I do too, but he can't ever be fully laid to rest. Mm. On the 5th of July, a 46-year-old man named David Hilda had called Shoreham Police Station and told the operator his name and address and said, I'd like to speak to someone. I think I've done something serious. This morning, I found a load of empty Nurofen wrappers in my pocket. He was asked if he needed an ambulance, but to this he replied, I need to speak to a copper first. I think I may have killed someone. So he then travelled to Sussex from South Sea, arriving at Shoreham Police Station, where he spoke to Police Constable Stephen Miles. PC Stephen Miles met Mr Hilda outside the station and he said, again, I need to speak to a copper. I think I've killed someone. So PC Miles asked this dirty, dishevelled man what had happened. He said, I do not know. I'm not sure what I've done. So they headed into the station for further questioning. He was quite willing to go in for this questioning. He really didn't know what had happened and he was very, very confused. He told the officer he was having flashbacks of the crime he may have committed. And he told the police officer, if I have done what I think I've done, then I'm going to kill myself. But when the PC asked him what he thought he had done, he couldn't answer. And he just said, I don't know. Hampshire Constabulary headed to his flat and conducted a search, but they didn't find anything suspicious. When they told Hilda this, he looked visibly relieved and he said that perhaps he may have overdosed on Nurofen. And he said, it must have all been in my head then. And that's possible, isn't it? Because if mm-hmm. you if you um, took a large amount of an over-the-counter drug like Nurofen or paracetamol, you could start to have delusions. Um, so you might believe that you have chopped someone's head off and killed someone when actually that's not necessarily what what's happened. Yeah, and he was so relieved to then hear that they couldn't find anything in his flat. So the police drove him to a nearby hospital where he was examined and then he was discharged. And then the officers put him back on a train to his apartment in Richmond Road in South Sea. But the police weren't willing to draw a line under this strange encounter and they did some more digging into David Hilda, otherwise known as Big Dave. So the police released to the press that not only did they need anyone with information about the pink shower curtain to come forward, but they were also investigating a sighting of a distinctive bicycle. They said to the press that in trying to establish the origin of this Wilkinson-owned brand Wilco Kids shower curtain, they were particularly keen to hear from anyone who had thrown out a pair of those curtains recently, or maybe knew of someone who had. And they also appealed with anyone who saw the bike with a large box on its handlebars to come forward. They also confirmed that they were investigating a property in the Richmond Road area, which, Mark, if you were paying attention earlier, was was. It's Big Big Dave's fucking flat. flat. Exactly. And Big Dave knew David Guy, otherwise known as Little Dave. The men were actually friends, if you can call the relationship that they had as friendship. I'm not sure. I think they started off as friends. Big Dave, David Hilda, collected and sold scrap metal. He rode around on a bicycle equipped with a butcher's box affixed to the handlebars. That was the distinctive bike that witnesses had seen in the vicinity of the torso dump site. He has been described as someone of low intelligence and he was known as quite violent as well. Big Dave would allow Little Dave to use his flat for showers and sometimes he provided him with food when he needed it. And in return, Little Dave would take care of Hilda's cat, Tinker. But if Big Dave wasn't happy with Little Dave, he would beat him aggressively. He ruled the younger man with threats of violence and keeping him in check through fear. 
On occasion, Big Dave would discover the flat was a mess or Tinker had been neglected. Both of these were reason enough for him to punish little Dave with a beating. And in the weeks leading up to David Guy being found dismembered, the two men had been arguing about Mr Guy's new relationship with a different man. On the 8th of July, David Hilda was placed under arrest for killing David Guy, but Big Dave denied having anything to do with his friend's death or his subsequent dismemberment. It's such a weird relationship with these two as well. It's really hard to find anything out that isn't just violence. But there must have been something more with them and something that at least started as a friendship. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking, I wonder if it was maybe a sexual relationship, particularly the fact that Big Dave was almost, it sounds like he was jealous that little David had this relationship or friendship with another man. Um, it does sound like Big Dave has almost got this ownership and control over Little Dave. And that's more unusual to see in a friendship. Yeah. But more more usual to see in a relationship. So the only I thing do wonder if they I were together. I wasn't sure with that was because they, a lot of the time they mentioned these men and their lower sort of um, intelligence. So I did wonder if it was a little bit less involved as a, an actual sexual relationship and a little bit more simple. But... I did wonder if it was anything sexual as well, because nothing's ever explicitly said, but then nobody would ever know for definite either way. No, and it could just be that Big Dave kind of got off on controlling somebody. We've seen that loads before, Mm -hmm. where it's not an actual relationship, it's just a friendship, but one friend has got some sort of enjoyment or fulfilment from controlling the other friend. It's just some people are like that, aren't they? Yeah. On the 9th, he was then charged following consultation between Hampshire Police and the Crown Prosecution Service. Nick Hawkins, Chief Crown Prosecutor for the Crown Prosecution Service of Wessex, said, I have been working closely with the major investigation team and had today authorised Hampshire Constabulary to charge David Hilda, aged 46, of South Sea with the murder of David Guy, aged 30, of South Sea. This follows the discovery of a male torso on South Sea Beach in Portsmouth on July 3rd. And what I thought was really amazing is how quickly everything happened. So he was found on July 3rd and by the 9th he was being charged. I thought that was really, really quick police work. That is really good. Usually though, I think with a murder, unless the police have caught the person within a few days, it's likely to remain unsolved for a long time or forever. Yeah. So so I do think a lot of them probably are solved quite quickly. Mm-hmm. But great work on their part, certainly, yeah. A spokesman for the police said that the next of kin for Mr Guy were informed um, and that the police were continuing to examine that address on Richmond Road and basically thanked the members of the public for all their assistance and cooperation. So it sounds like a lot of people had called in with tips and help. And then on the 10th, the 46-year-old Big Dave appeared in court charged with the murder of Little Dave. So back to Detective Chief Inspector Dick Pearson, who told the press, although we have charged a suspect with murder, one important line of inquiry is to establish David Guy's last known movements and whereabouts when he was alive. Um, So David Guy's family then gave a photo, which is in the papers and it was on the press then. So people were able to give in even more tips and help with potentially when he was last seen. And David Hilda was remanded until his trial. The trial got underway in Winchester Crown Court a year after the discovery of Little Dave's torso on the South Sea Beach. So Big Dave was accused of murder and the lesser offence of manslaughter. He pleaded not guilty. 
In his opening statement to the jury, Nigel Lickley with the Crown Prosecution Service called the murder painstaking and deliberate. And according to the prosecutor, the defendant had used his bicycle with the basket to dispose of Mr Guy's body and in those different parts. And the prosecutor told the court that the victim's head, arms, several internal organs and genitals had not been found. Referring to this killing and dismemberment, Nigel Lickley said it took time, it took clarity of thought and it took planning. The jurors were told that the pair were friends who had known each other for many years, that little Dave had been living in a camper van on a business premises near to Big Dave's South Sea flat. And that really reminded me, I cannot remember the guy's name, but you know the guy that was a paedophile and he was killed. He had his caravan in like a car park of somewhere, didn't he? Yeah. And it just really reminded me so many times. I just felt really sorry for this guy and what different like ways that his life could have gone differently. I think his name was Andrew Cunningham. That I think was it, it was yes. Maybe episode two of season three. He was a paedophile, though, uh, although he certainly didn't deserve to be murdered. And he, yeah, he was cut up in his caravan. I think they cut his um, testicles off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was, I, I feel like that's still unsolved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, he lived in a caravan, you're right, in East London. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are similarities. Not saying little Dave was a paedophile Oh God, too, no, not but, at all. But I just, um, no, yeah. no, not at all. I just felt like, again, with Andrew Cunningham, because he'd done his time for his crimes. And he was just trying to carry on his life. And yeah, people had just taken on like this vigilante approach with him, hadn't they? That was very mm. vigilanteism. And yeah, he had to, he'd served his, his time. He'd committed the crime, served the time and was trying to rehabilitate back into the community. And I, I won't go on about it too much because obviously that's not the case we're covering today. But it is an interesting episode because he had been rehabilitated to a certain extent and his boss talked very fondly of him, which is very interesting, even though he knew his background. So, um, so no, he didn't deserve to die, certainly not in the way that he did. Mm. So the defendant was described as a collector and seller of scrap metal and as a familiar figure in South Sea who rode around on his distinctive bicycle. The court heard that younger Mr Guy was polite and helpful and sober but did have a significant drink problem and Nigel Lickley told the court that the precise relationship between the two men will never be known but one major aspect of the relationship was violence. He told the jury David Hilda was on occasion violent towards David Guy, this old man punishing with violence the younger one who remained somewhat dependent on him. And the prosecution told the court their belief that Mr Hilda had killed Mr Guy, dismembered his body in a painstaking and deliberate way, and then used this bicycle to transport the parts to other locations. Jurors were told that in the period before his death, which had been determined as sometime between the 30th of June and the 3rd of July, Mr Guy had developed a new relationship, which meant he'd spent time away, and Mr Hilda was concerned that Mr Guy was neglecting his cat. So Nigel Lickley said it may well have been something minor that caused the argument that led to the killing of David Guy. A number of things may have been relevant. The cat, David Guy becoming absent because of his new relationship, money, David Guy being drunk and making a mess in the flat. Whatever it was, it caused significant violence. The next day, the court heard about that visit to the police station that David Hildred made where he was really confused and rambling and not making much sense. The jury were told he was taken to hospital after saying he thought he'd taken an overdose and that the police had checked his flat but found nothing suspicious. And the jury were told all about how when he was told that, he looked visibly relieved and said, it it must have just been in my head. And then the jury next heard about the shower curtain in which parts of David Guy's body were found. But they were told about how it also contained cat hairs. 
eight cat hairs which were linked to none other than Tinker, David Hilda's cat. So Detective Superintendent Dick Pearson took the stand for the prosecution and he described to the jury how he had collected these cat hair follicles from the pink shower curtain that had been wrapped around Mr Guy. So Hampshire police sent these samples to the United States where they were visually compared to follicles from 493 American cats and there were no links or anything to kind of link them at all. So they then spoke to an English scientist at Leicester's University Department of Genetics who compared DNA extracted from Tinker's known hair with the DNA of 152 cats from Southsea and other bits of Hampshire. Tinker's DNA did not match the DNA from any of the hairs from that 152 cat database. And DNA in cats is less specific than in humans, but when the DNA from the shower curtain hairs were compared to the DNA of Tinker's known samples, the scientists concluded there was only a 1 in 100 chance that the death scene hairs hadn't come from that cat. So they were able to kind of prove that those were definitely Tinker's cat hairs and not some other random cat from South Sea, which I thought was very, very clever. Well, they couldn't prove it for definite because there's only a 1 in 100 chance that it wasn't. So they couldn't prove it's it for highly definite, likely. but they were able to no, prove it but pretty it is high, well. Yeah. It's highly likely. That's interesting. I, I never knew that because the whole way through all of that science crap, I was just sort of thinking, well, why don't why don't they just c- compare the cat hair that was found in the pink shower curtain to Tinker's DNA? But of course, I didn't know this. But like you say, DNA in cats is less specific than in humans. Yeah, I thought that was um, really... Which is really weird. Yeah, I didn't know that before at all. Do you ever think that I said this to someone recently and they laughed and said no? But do you ever think that animals are actually aliens from another planet? Because they're so different to <laughs> us. Um, do you think that's plausible or not? Um, I don't think it's plausible purely because, um, for example, trees and things that grow from the ground in our Earth are all very, very different and have differences as well as similarities. And they're alive too, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and they they are definitely things that are grown from organic material in our earth so no however the thing i find really crazy is that we have pets and we can like communicate with them even though we're completely different species and obviously i'm not saying that my cats speak to me in real words obviously not but like you can have a relationship with an animal that's like communicative even though you're completely different that freaks me out a little bit yeah i kind of get that my mum's horse, if you give my mum's horse like a back scratch, she'll lean her head over and scratch your back and she like nuzzle you and then you nuzzle like with your hand, obviously, because you don't have horse teeth, but you like scratch her back with your hand and she'll nuzzle you with her teeth. Yeah, they are. They are amazing. Animals are absolutely like domesticated animals in particular yeah. are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Maybe they are aliens, but I, I have to, I wouldn't laugh at you for it, but I would okay, disagree thank you. with you. Yeah. It's an interesting hypothesis, surely. Mm. Anyway, we've gone off on a massive tangent. Well, let's go back to the shower curtain. So Dr. John Wetton, the scientist who led the University of Leicester's DNA project, did take the stand for the prosecution. Um, and fibres from the shower curtain were recovered from David Hilda's flat. And also traces of Mr. Guy's blood were found in the flat too. Witnesses described Big Dave and Little Dave's friendship as love-hate and that Big Dave was in some respects dominant in the friendship and he would use violence to punish his younger friend who remained dependent on him. And then at the end of the trial on the 30th of July 2013, 
David Hilder received a life sentence for his friend's manslaughter. So he was cleared of the murder of David Guy, but Justice David Bean handed down a minimum sentence of 12 years for the manslaughter, which I thought was really fair. I thought that was quite a valid answer. I don't. Do you know? No, how did he not get convicted of murder? There is no proof anywhere that he actually murdered him. But manslaughter at least means that there's enough evidence that the jury can't believe that he wasn't involved in some way. Yeah, I mean, they obviously struggled to um, build a a strong enough case for murder, of course, Mm. I get that. But yeah, that is like, I mean, just to think what he's done to his friend, Potentially, this is the thing. You just don't know for definite. I do, I personally think he did murder him. Absolutely. He had a fit of rage, went too far, and then somehow in his blind panic has then dismembered this body. I mean, that is, you're really thinking when you're doing that, surely. Yeah, to cut off his genitalia, uh, to cut his head off, mm-hmm. stuff like that is just, I just, uh, to, what worries me, I guess, is in, that was in 2012, so this would have been in 2013 when he was sentenced to 12 years minimum. So potentially in uh, five years time, this uh, David Hilder could be out on the streets. Yeah. He could be living next door to you. This is a guy that has killed his his friend and dismembered his body in such a brutal way. And then he's allowed to just integrate back into society. But then this is where you have to really hope for rehabilitation and that that would work and have some sort of trust in the justice system, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It is crazy, isn't it, to think so? Mm. So... Justice David Bean said in his summing up, we may never know the exact circumstances of his death. It seems most likely that the two of you quarrelled. You had a sudden loss of self-control and stabbed him through the chest with a sharp blade, causing him to die almost instantly. Afterwards, you mutilated and cut up his body. After the verdict, a statement from Mr Guy's father, Michael, was read to the court in which he said, in time, I will come to terms with my loss, but it is the cutting up of my son's body I cannot accept and never will. Somehow I will have to carry this pain in my soul for the rest of my life. And I just felt so sorry for him here. The cat hair angle of the case was a first. So Dr John Wetton said afterwards, this is the first time that cat DNA has been used in a criminal trial in the UK. We now hope to publish the database so it can be used in future crime investigations. And Dr Wetton, who had done similar work on dog DNA, said, this is the first time cat DNA has been used in a criminal trial in the UK. It could be a real boon for forensic science, as the 10 million cats in the UK are unwittingly tagging the clothes and furnishings in more than a quarter of a household's. Animal DNA offers a way of linking people to places and items through the transfer of their pet hairs. And oh my God, my cat hair gets everywhere. Like I'd turn up to work, wouldn't I? And you'd be like, Jesus, Beth, and you're covered in cat hair. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd be like, go and fucking sort yourself out, love. Yeah. If I ever commit a crime, I need to go buy new clothes, change somewhere outside, not bring my old, like not bring the clothes into the house, not get in my own car because my cat hairs will be, my cat's hairs will be somewhere. And whatever you wear, even if you wore um, a kind of like plastic type clothing, the static of the cat hairs would still stick Mm -hmm. to that. So you're just screwed, aren't you, really? Yeah. 
And so the UK's cat hair database was born. In August 2013, an article was released that referenced David Hilder's trial and prosecution. And in it, it talked about how the police had tracked down Dr. John Wetton, who had created a similar database of UK dogs while working with the Forensic Science Service. Dr. Wetton said, Hampshire police wanted to know the evidential strength of the match. And I explained that it could only be determined with a reference to a database of UK cats. And this did not exist at the time. The team were able to get 152 samples from a company that analyses blood samples for vets. And of these 152, only three of the samples matched the hairs from the crime scene. Um, But they weren't enough of a match as actually Tinker's hair. And they also confirmed that the DNA type was quite rare in the UK, which made it easier to prove that their hairs did come from Big Dave's cat. So David Wetton said, having produced a similar database for dogs during my previous employment with the Forensic Science Service, we proposed creating a cat database from scratch. Within each cat hair are two types of DNA, um, individual specific nuclear DNA detectable in the roots of some larger hairs and mitochondrial DNA, which is shared by all maternally related individuals and can be found even in the finest hair shafts. Animal DNA offers a way of linking people to places and items through the transfer of their pets' hairs. Fellow researcher Barbara Ottolini said the police were lucky in the case because most mitochondrial types are common when they're tested. So she said, we would like to use cutting-edge DNA sequencing methods to identify further variations to maximise the discriminating power of evidence. So they're really, really pushing to get this to be something that they could really use which i loved i feel like i feel like it's um uh an april fool's day episode with this cat database and for some reason i just had a vision of tinker this pussy um dressed in a suit sat in the dock giving (laughs) evidence i think i've got a temperature beth and i don't think i'm very well oh my god you did say you (laughs) thought you were coming down with a cold yeah i don't feel very well you're getting feverish you're getting you're just having a bit of a turn. Yeah, I can literally picture this cat okay, sat well, can in the you dock. Stop thinking in a about suit. Tinker in, a, okay. in the dock in a suit because this isn't the first time that a cat helped to so, to sort of serve a conviction and to secure the end of a trial. This isn't the first time. It was the first time it happened in the UK, but in 1994, a woman called Shirley Duguay went missing from her home in Prince Edward Island, a province of Canada. Do you think it would be Duguay or do you think it'd be Duguay or Dougie? I would say Duguay. 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 Duguay it would be. Duguay. I think Duguay. Shirley Duguay. Okay, so a woman called Shirley Duguay went missing. Her ex was the police's key suspect, but they just couldn't find a way to connect him to Shirley's disappearance and her potential murder. Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigators recalled that during a previous interview with the estranged husband, Douglas Beamish, he had said that he had a white cat named Snowball. During the course of their investigation, they found a jacket and shoes, both stained with Shirley's blood, and inside the jacket lining were 20 white cat hairs. They looked like they might have belonged to that specific white cat, so they confiscated the cat and drew blood that they intended to kind of use DNA fingerprinting to compare it to the DNA found in the white hairs from the jacket. At this point, they found that no one in the world had done it before. So they contacted the Minotti Raymond Laboratory of Genomic Diversity, a laboratory specialising not in forensics, but the study of genetic diseases. And working together, the detectives and scientists were able to develop a method in which to test the feline hair. 
So the director said that they wanted to know if this lab could do a DNA fingerprint of the hair. The lab had the genetic tools to do it, but it became a question of whether they could isolate enough DNA from a single hair specimen. So the test included randomly testing 20 other cats from the area. That was kind of to rule out the possibility that the hairs found in the jacket came from a close relative of Snowball. And then they wanted to check if all or lots of the cats had a common ancestor, because obviously if they all did, that would kind of be a bit useless with the DNA testing. The test revealed that the hairs did come from Snowball, And so scientists became expert witnesses during the murder trial. Their evidence helped to convict Douglas Beamish of Shirley's murder. So he received a life sentence for second degree murder. (laughs) And the case set a lease. It's not funny though, because the cat wasn't in the dock in this case either. I know what you're thinking. I literally was picturing Snowball in court giving evidence. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Mark. Beth, and go You're on, carry poorly, on. aren't you? <laughs> yeah, just crack on. Crack on, love. The <laughs> Love. The case <laughs> set a legal precedent as the first to allow animal DNA typing data as evidence in a court proceeding. And the company as well, the laboratory, Minotti Raymond, they received a grant of $265,000 from the US Department of Justice to develop the National Feline Genetic Database, which is the first of its kind. So the researchers said their goal was to develop the molecular tools needed to characterise cat specimens left at crime scenes, create a genetic database that could be used to evaluate matching profiles. And they sent out kind of letters to cat readings they visited numerous cat fairs they wanted to connect collect about 50 specimens from each of the 35 different breeds of domestic cat and so far they have collected more than 850 samples you're still thinking about a cat in a dock aren't you i'm not i'm just i don't even know what i'm thinking i'm still i'm literally crying here um laughing at this Um, but to be fair yeah it's great obviously anything that will help to secure someone's prosecution whatever it's from um i I don't know why it's just really um do you know what i'm glad it's tickled you because i wanted to first of all get a case which is solved and i needed to have something with a bit of resolution because some of our listeners have been saying oh my god what are you doing to us um but also i did want to have a little bit of a a little bit of lightheartedness with the fact that you all know I'm a crazy cat lady. You know, all know I love my cats and I just needed to get a cat into a case somehow. So, yeah. I think, you, I think you've done really well. You've got um, two cats in this. so Of course I uh, did. Yeah, so well, well done. Um, yeah, I'm speechless. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. You're hallucinating now, Mark. I feel like I'm Go dreaming. I don't feel like any of this was real. So that brings the end of the case then. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, I apologise on behalf of Mark, who can't hear the word dick without laughing or without talking about cats in docks. Sorry, guys. Um, Don't forget to (laughs) check out our show sponsor, Stitch Fix. uh, Use code RED. And also, um, yeah, find us on all the usual social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, and also do, oh, bless do, you. do you have you okay? Yeah. Do you have a think about supporting <laughs> us on Patreon as well? So you can find us at patreon.com slash seeing red podcast. And don't forget as well, if you're interested in the CrimeCon UK, so it's the first time CrimeCon's come to the UK, it's next summer in June. If you would like to get your early bird tickets with 10% off, please use code RED. And when you do, if you do use the code RED, 
give us a quick shout and let us know and then we can set you up with the goodie bags as well because anybody who uses code red gets a goodie bag thank you for listening guys we'll see you next week next week yeah bye bye Hi Angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.